Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Spirit Krieger. A gentleman who's been here eight years, who I've had a lot of boozy nights with over the last eight years and fun conversations and always wanted to get him on board because he's got some really crazy stories that we've talked over late night, whiskeys and rums and um, just an all-around good dude who's been in the area for a long time who I thought could impart some of his knowledge on not only being an expat but being a business owner and somebody who knows the ins and outs of Nicaragua. So with that said, Spirit, welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> it's nice yeah. to have you, brother. Yeah, it's um, cool to be here. So yeah, you're from the state, Spokane, Washington. Washington State, yeah. And uh, were you always a traveler? Were you always searching for something else? You mentioned your mom was a hippie. Well, with a name like Spirit, yeah, it's definitely raised into a, a different kind of life, I guess. But originally, I was always seeking more as far as distance and getting away. Uh, Growing up in the Northwest, we traveled a lot from over to Seattle, and I traveled the West Coast a lot growing up, just Cali and Oregon. We had family in Oregon and um, started getting into surf a little bit at a younger age. I was always thrilled and enthralled with the ocean, so it always had an energy that brought me to it. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah. Always wanted to be near the ocean at a young age, but through life I stayed in Spokane. Didn't travel a whole lot till after college, actually, and then uh, started moving down the West Coast. Lived in Oregon, California, Washington, Idaho, all the whole Pacific side, and um, stayed, was in San Diego for a few years and really got into surfing Cal uh, Oceanside, California. And um, that's when I really started getting waves and figuring out how powerful the ocean is. And so at an early age, I was thrilled with that. That's cool, man. Where uh, did you go to school, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Gonzaga Prep in Spokane and then followed up with uh, Shoreline Community College in Seattle. Washington. Oh, cool. Um, so in Seattle, we snowboarded a lot. Mount Baker is just north of Shoreline. And, five different sick mountains in the area so started snowboarding at that age actually right during college yeah and you kind of took it took it pretty far i mean you got sponsored you you got yeah. to travel with it a little bit <laughs> yeah i had a semi sponsorship by one of the local local shops in spokane friend of the family had uh corporate season passes and he dropped me Five season passes for the week, Red Mountain in uh, Rossland, B.C., just two and a half hours north of Spokane. Yeah, it would stoke me out. So Monday through Friday, I'd use these passes. I just had to have them back in time for his friends and other people that use them always on the weekend. So I'd get my five tickets and scalp, scalp four, keep one, and use the money to break through the week get to the <laughs> to the end of the. That's cool, man. Yeah, the week and back into it. 
When did you first start traveling internationally? Worldwide was, I really, oh man. I had plans at an earlier age to, to travel more and then uh, kind of got involved with family and started a paint business in Spokane and had a pretty legit business for, for a period of years and um, ended up raising a son, buying a house, getting into the grind of, of everything and um, real life and buying cars and house payments and insurance payments and everything we do and um, got caught up with that for about 20 years. Whoa, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so I raised my son and um, stayed in the program, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, yeah. for for many years. But prior to the to the American dream, I did have aspirations to get out and travel and using my skills to, to go other places. And carpenters and painters, you can pretty much travel the world and um, with a small amount of tools, if you walk onto a job site without knowing the language. So did you know Spanish then before you came to Nicaragua? No. No, you pretty much learned it all here? Took it in high school. Yeah, as I did. But that was <laughs> just to pass the class. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it was something that came with inner... Um, in, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Immersion. Immersion. Full immersion when you got to Nicaragua. Full immersion was the the real method that I learned and it was the only way, I don't know. Right. That progressed this far with it. And you had mentioned like this whole great adventure kind of started through a contact that you had with, uh, what was it? Doric, uh, the co your father's company back in the States. I kind of, you, maybe you can explain that. Cause I know you came down, you were working with aqua over here as yeah. uh, like a property manager slash maintenance you're here to like basically get everyone up to speed with how to yeah. maintain people's properties yeah yeah initial involvement in central america was in 2009 my first trip to costa rica was a friend that had him and his family had invested into a large farm or property and there's a lot of cacao grew on the property and he had started doing tours of his cacao farm basically and he proceeded to build a small house on his property and i i started to help him with his project so i got uh invested with time in costa rica just helping with this project and uh, it progressed for a few years but my first year in costa rica was 2009 and that's probably the first stamp in my passport oh no way yeah i went there for the first time then not too long after that came to Nicaragua. Did you cross the border or did you fly? No, I flew back to the States. And oh yeah. Yeah. We, it was a planned trip. It was actually my father's birthday. We did the first tour in Aqua health and wellness spa resort. It was right before they opened publicly. Mm -hmm. So the first tour was a detox retox tour. We had shirts made and the whole bit and had a group so you, you were a it was the first group of people in Nicaragua and uh, aqua actually You're it was 26 people it was the most people they had accommodated so, no way yeah so the first batch of people was um so they really couldn't handle the volume of people at the time because they their housekeeping wasn't up to par the kitchen wasn't up to par really like it was their basically test run 
And friends of my own man's are the owners, original inceptors in, of Aqua. Okay. Which some came from the Northwest, mm-hmm. and they knew they had limited knowledge of construction and engineering. And so that's when my father got involved. And um, they had a villa built already, and we came in and oversaw it. And meanwhile, my old man and my father's down here um, overseeing this project, and I'm in the States running the office, essentially, because at that time we worked together in his construction company. And um, that was an off-and-on thing over the last uh, 25 years, but... So he would come down, and I would always see him coming and bring back pictures. He'd be, I would help with communications in the States, and I would be a bit jealous for sure because it was usually winter when he'd come down. And uh, So I saw it from afar for three or four years while he was working that project. But So when they first opened up, um, yeah, we had the largest amount of pe- group of people at that point, and we walked in, and I recognized that maintenance hadn't really been approached at that point everything was so new and fresh and but there's still issues as there is in this country or yeah, any course. central american country we deal with so much the extremes of the climate and the everything from water access to electric and trying to put wi-fi in because that's what clients want but the initial years were dry years for sure there was no internet and so you come out here and you're just cut off from from it all and that was kind of a nice thing. I liked it. And, um, yeah, so first tour was at that point, and I, I began to get to, get to know the owners more and um, started to make a plan to make my move to this country. And it was mostly based around the project itself, all built with wood. Wood is my thing. That's my history in the States. And I continue to go back yearly and... And uh, maintain for property owners log cabins, a lot of vacation homes, and large scale, high end residential. Back in Washington. Compounds. Yeah, we build um, some really incredible houses. And a lot of the projects I continue with are projects we've been involved in. So this one I just fell in love with because of the, the beauty of the woods, the natural woods in Nicaragua. All of Central America, just incredible. <laughs> so, now, is it true that that amazing. whole development, Aqua, and <laughs> all the houses over there were built with Brazilian hardwood? Is that real? Well, that's that's just they're never talking about history of the hillside. Yeah, because the Bucanero original homes point. built in in that area. There's three properties: Bucaneros, mm-hmm. Aqua, and El Castillo on the other side. And the original first property being built was Bucaneros of the Ridge, where they're private homes and some are rented as well, but beautiful homes built with a lot of the original wood was Brazilian hardwood that was shipped in by the the initial inceptor of that idea. Um, Armel. Armel uh, yep. Armel. <laughs> you know the history you've been around. Yeah, so the original... Um, concept but i don't know why they brought in all brazilian wood to begin with part of it i know was um there's a word embargo embargo exactly there's been periods of time storms in nicaragua where there mudslides in in honduras it was kind of northern nicaragua and southern honduras 
and mudslides buried, buried a lot of wood. Well, the Chinese and Americans and Germans figured this out and started mining a lot of that wood out of the hillsides. And there was not much control over it. It was being sold through government agencies who were all peeling each other. And <laughs> Really? Yeah. So, so back to the... Um, yeah, the reason Brazilian hardwoods were brought in is because of the embargoes that happened throughout the countries in Central America during the, the original years of that project. And aqua itself was started with all indigenous woods in Central America. There was a period of time during the production of that project, actually, that they brought in wood from Canada because another embargo happened. Basically, when it one happened a few years ago, actually two years ago, and <laughs> part of their part of their intent is to just basically recontrol gain of all the logging that's happening because they don't have a whole lot of inspectors. I mean, I don't know exactly how their quality control and control works, but it um, they seem to manage it every few years by just cutting off all production. So what's your passion with wood? I mean, is it something that you had since you were younger and you've always worked with it and you like sculpt it or you just like building things? No, I, I've been getting into sculpting with time, but originally, no, it wasn't a fascination as a child. It started with working. I started in construction and painting with my family who were always into high-end stuff and started into historical remodels in Spokane area, which there's a lot of historical homes. And continued into log cabins and wood construction just fascinated me. And I started getting into framing and carpentry and um, furthered with the finishing of the wood as it's being um, turned into something other than a tree. <laughs> yeah. So then within your knowledge of the wood and that whole development, basically, the Aqua Spawn Resort, which is a beautiful spawn resort over there, the Buccanero, um housing development like what's the thing that corrodes the wood fastest is it bugs is it the sun is it the salt air is it a combination of all three <laughs> combination of yeah. all of it for sure i mean can you even beat it back is it something that's just like uncontrollable <laughs> it's just a constant it's a constant control issue because yep. everything else will try to feed on your on your wood if you're using wood construction for Details, especially the sun. Anything in the sun gets deteriorated quicker, of course. And anybody that owns a home or has a home near the ocean, you know the corrosion that salt causes. And the nice thing about this part of the country is it's offshore winds most of the year, so it doesn't carry as much salt. It's kind of a strange phenomenon that happens here, amongst other things. But yeah. So if you um, were one of the three little piggies, would you build a house out of straw, wood, or brick? <laughs> In this environment. Concrete, brick, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and wood details are great, mm -hmm. but as far as foundation structure and, yeah, uh, concrete. Well, this is really cool because I didn't actually know all the, how this whole story kind of pieced itself together, but to have you kind of be in the States, give yourself to the rat race, if you will, or to the family business for so many years, raise your son, and then see an opportunity here and capitalize on that. Like, that's pretty cool. So it, you made a viable business out of it because you've been here for a long time doing that. Was yeah, it, was always paying was paying the bills from pretty much get go. 
Well, the industry that I've been in and chose to the path I took has has been, but no, coming to Nicaragua is definitely never a, a um, financial benefit or reason to come here. Oh, really? <laughs> so not. even with all the work that they have over there for you, it's still not as easy to make a buck? Definitely as it, not. As it should be? Definitely not. Being a gringo in this country is definitely uh, um, challenges to going into a large scale type of business to, to grow something big and make real money is that kind of what you're saying no actually being under the thumb of the man here the gringos that are in control they kind of control the pricing and the the tolerated wage that they're going to pay even oh. if it's first world experience i see so you're still put in a category as like uh, a laborer and you're in a third world country and this is the well, not labor. necessarily the trade off. The trade off is knowing how much money you're going to walk into on a contract with a company that's not even based in this country, um, and accepting the changes that it will bring. You're walking away from everything you know, everything you have experience with, into a whole new world where there was no um, Lowe's or Home Depot or <laughs> large large type of hardware stores anywhere close to this area so dealing with the function of of new reality is it was a big challenge for me i mean that's part of what sparked my interest was the challenge of being in a new place being with new people new language my language was very limited i dove into it as soon as i knew i was going to be moving in central america um, what kind of stuff were you doing to dive into it? Oh, you know, start with the basics, Rosetta Stone, and <laughs> try to remember my high school basics and call my Latino friends and try to try to set up meetings with them to spend Spanish nights speaking. Maybe, but you would have a Mexican, a Puerto Rican, a, um, a Cuban, and, you know, they all speak slightly different Spanish, So, but the basics are all the same. So it's... That brought me together. And then you now have a Nicaraguan wife, so that probably helped with your Spanish as well. Would you say you were fluent before you met her or then after? Or are you even fluent still? Because <laughs> well, I'm not. Like, I've been here a long time, and my Spanish is still very No, no, limited. definitely we won't be fluent. We'll seek for our entire lives to continue to learn the language for sure. Yeah. No, my definitely not fluent, but I do go to parts of the country that... Um, that nobody speaks English, and you won't see a gringo for weeks on end. So, and you get by, you're fine. You can. I'm able to do everything I needed to do, and actually have conversation. And yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> and so you met your wife here, of, and how many? You've been married like three or four years, huh? We should go back before we get further into the okay. gring, the Nicaragua the, that transfer. Okay. Because I would like to definitely, but I do want to say something because I I'm getting the vibe. We should go back a little bit to um, the reason I came to Nicaragua. Yeah. The family the family business was here. My father had already gotten involved with the, the pioneers that started that project. And the years that this all started was in before 2010. In 2010, the market took a huge crash. Mm -hmm. The housing market went downhill fast. And the economy, the banking scams and schemes all were happening and the result of all that is it dropped the business for construction industry in the states 
immensely. And we were able to continue through because we have, um, we have continued clients that, that we, we downsized quite a bit, but I saw it just coming and there was no sight for what's going to ultimately happen with what's happening with the economy. So I saw an opportunity in Nicaragua to make a change for myself and seeing the growth that was starting here eight years ago, 10 years ago, it just intrigued me to the point of, um, of seeing something different, a possibility somewhere else. Nice. Because it just continues to grow in this country and they're thriving on tourism. It's one of their main industries and, um, they were willing to help it expand and knowing that really thrilled me. So that's kind of the reason I started to dive in. My first years here, I spent three months at a time. And continuing through the years, I was here in Nicaragua more than in the States. Mm. And over the years, it's continued to be like that soon. I really don't have to go back mm. other than family and friends. And yeah, as I do, as I do. Reasons. Excuse me. Um, and sto- talking about stories and, and reasons for doing certain things, there was a story that has always captivated me that you've told to me a few times. I don't know if you are willing to share it with our audience, but you were murdered at one point. You got murdered <laughs> by the police. <laughs> Is that correct? They tasered you to death. Is that what I understand? Well, basically, yeah. As a result of the tasing, I went through a period of time. I kept having runs, run-ins with like angry cops. And Spokane police actually, are, in history, are kind of notorious for being out of control and... um and what kind of run-ins? Like you were speeding, and then get that basic the, the basically one where I got tased up by the cop was I was speeding in my truck with at the time my girlfriend and her child, her daughter, about five years old, in the front of the truck. Everybody's secure in the vehicle. My son was actually in the back of the truck in a, in a uh, tinted window canopy, at the age of about nine, I believe, at that point, and um, yeah, I got pulled over for speeding. And the whole thing ensued into a, I wasn't drunk. I had no drugs in the vehicle. I had no, there was no reason to further this process. But the, turned out the police officer had just left a violent situation. This all came out later in the years. But he, um, so he was all amped up already and he ended up tasing me numerous times and, um, like, were you getting verbally aggressive with him or he just said, get out of the car? Sir, no, then- actually, as the thing pers- commenced, I was actually asking him to handcuff me and put me in his car because he was getting like incoher- incoherent and like he um, could see he was getting aggressive for no reason. Like, yeah, it was getting gnarly and I, he's got a gun and I didn't. And like, I mean, <laughs> I was wearing shorts, flip flops, no shirt. No, I had been working all day. It was summertime. I mean, I had no, there was <laughs> definitely no weapons or reason for this guy to start flipping out but um yeah he tased me multiple times then uh months later i was diagnosed with further um arrhythmia and causes that they've now found that tasers can cause if you're tased in the chest right next to your heart so did your heart ever stop, stop beating that 
That that day you got tased? That day, no. I just, as months commenced, I started feeling worse and worse and ended up in the hospital. And it basically promoted any kind of heart issues I may have had when I was 80 years old or something. Wow. Basically. So, Did that ever go to court? Did anything ever come of that? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, got a settlement of some kind. Yeah. You don't win at these things. Right. You, you I mean... A person can spend years and years in turmoil and end up not getting much of the money anyways because you're going to spend it all on lawyers and other specialists and this and that. But, yeah, I settled out of court for the whole thing, with so, and that was part of the buffer for when I came down here, for okay. sure. Like, I mean, nothing huge, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I always think about that story and how crazy that was. The nights that we sat there talking about that and just—it's funny. I actually totally forgot that we had those discussions mm-hmm. because the years that followed that situation, I ended up um, having instant heart failure. They call it basically. Can um, you describe what that sudden means? death? I believe is the the common term for nurses and doctors. And um, my son actually found me and revived me him and his cousin at the age of my son was 14 years old his cousin was 15 and they um called 911 and got instructions to do cpr until the ambulance got there and he saved my life wow dude what a great story what a hero so your heart just stops and then you literally will die unless someone resuscitates you and that's happened multiple times to you? No, just the one time. It was just a, it was a, a cause and effect of the tasing. And I had some years after the tasing of not taking care of myself. And, um, so it was multiple complications, but yes, in the end, fucking, <laughs> <laughs> that's cop fucking killed me. And, um, so after coming out of that and then, uh, coma for oh my god that's fucked yeah this this is kind of stuff that i i kind of i put behind me i let it you know it's not it's kind of half the reason i end up down here it was just the that bullshit happening and then the more i'm in the states actually the more i recollect these um issues that further pushed me away from the states Right. And dealing with out of control cops is just gnarly. You're never going to win. And I knew that. And years that followed that incident after I was diagnosed and given medicine to take for the rest of my life, supposed to, and it works. I really have faith. My original doctors were really cool. Actually, they were really good guys. I still see them around Spokane when I'm back there every once in a while. But, um, well, that's cool, man. I think thanks for sharing that story with the audience because I think um, a lot of people probably feel the same way you do about you know police in America being out of control and um, you know that's I've seen police officers in my town kill people. Yeah, wow. For what would appear to be a fairly non-invasive situation where the police had options. You know, that's usually the option for a taser is to use it rather than a fucking gun. Mm-hmm. But um, they're not trained well enough to know the difference between the two when a, when an intense situation happens because they're high on the adrenaline. Yeah. They admit it. I mean, it's not... It's, it's, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mystery. Mean, uh, th- speaking of that, and we talked about this on the way here, like had a gentleman walk up to the property I was on today who had walked into my room about a month ago, late night, claiming to be a taxi driver looking for his, his, his fare. <laughs> um, and I was sleeping and confused and had the presence of mind to take a photo more or less, but you know, didn't get a great one. And then sure enough, he shows up on this property day casing the joint and just all my adrenaline starts rushing through me. I can't think straight. Like I just start saying, you're a thief, get out of here. And it's like, I can imagine what a police officer must be going through when they are actually encountering. And that just happened today, meeting up, seeing yeah. this guy yeah, after he walks through your place in the middle of the night without. Yeah. Yeah, that's not. It's hard, dude. And if you're not trained properly on how to deal with that, then yeah, you can do something like was done to you. So. Well, the guy was a rookie. He was young. It was hard. I mean, after years and years of dealing with it, they, um, you know, I, I could actually see his perspective. It sounds like there's a little forgiveness, maybe, or no? No, hell no. Fuck the police. Fuck that. He's on the wrong side of the fucking wall. So, yeah. No, there's no, there's no reason for that. But. Fair enough, man. Well, yeah, I mean, you found sanctuary here, it sounds like, and you have a, a, a nice wife and uh, a lot of different kind of, uh, companies and things in the fire down here in Nicaragua that you're working on. And you were explaining to me before the show that um, you're, you and your wife are starting uh, a company that deals primarily in Nicaraguan products, which are all made here, produced here, labeled here. Is that correct? You want to tell us more about that and how that's going? Yeah, I, mean, I was fortunate through the through the time spent in in the Pacific Coast to. Meet a wonderful woman, a Nicaraguan, and um, she's—I've always had a weakness for smart girls. So, <laughs> yeah, Glenn is super cool. <laughs> Managed super to find cool. one here, and so over time, we've we've spent—we're together about six years. We've been married for three, and part of the dream, as we first met, working in a small resort. Um, was to promote Nicaraguan products and more hers, her dream. And it was more reachable for her. So through the years, I've helped support her and um, ignite the the dream because I love the idea of it. Though I'm not Nicaraguan, <laughs> I, I may live here and, and spend my years here. But supporting her ability to promote this stuff is, is really where it's at and she's furthered her company Encanta de Mi Tierra. That's the name of it, Encanta Mi Tierra. Encanta Mi Tierra. Okay. Yeah. And um she's based in Boaco and What kind of products is she making? You said like a face wash and like Well the products are being made by somebody else actually. Oh okay. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't um but she has the idea of what she wants, and then she goes and hires someone to produce it, I'm assuming. Yeah, some of it is a cooperative um, effort. The The guys that we were involved with, in, in, uh, well, she's involved with in Managua. It's a full family. We actually met in, here in Agante. The guy was mapping out uh, coral reefs on the Pacific coast, trying to help gain park national park status for the coral reefs which they do in Costa Rica and all through Central America, but you don't see that much here. So he was promoting that years ago. Then I run into him through Glenda in Managua, 
and he's producing all these products. He's got college degree from the States. The guy's like a chemical wizard and uses all natural products, coconut oils and, um, most of his coconut based, coconut and honey based products. So they, but they conspire on mint, mint flavors, products for uh, exfoliation, women, mostly women's products, whatnot, soaps, um, natural sunscreens. Um, yeah. You said that uh, the honey actually comes from a lot of Glenda's family farm, right? Something like that? Well, she also further, yeah, further promotes the honey, which is produced on family farms in northern Nicaragua, higher elevation area of uh, Comuapa and Boaco. And, um, yeah, the honey is a little bit darker up there, different consistency, different flavor, and different flowers the higher up you go. As in anywhere in the world, but yeah, are these the types of bees that don't have stingers, the non-stinging bees? Because I know that's kind of unique here. The um, the honey that they can get from those like non-stinging bees, it's kind of highly. The hive, up. the hive honeys are are breed, or excuse me, the the um, the hive bees are breed bees, and they sting. Yeah, so the black ones that don't sting are a natural bee that isn't really contained in hives. So like the locals here, every once in a while you'll find a hive, there'll be a swarming bees up in a tree and usually it's wrapped around a knot or a hole in the tree where the honey is being hidden by the those bees. So they're a natural bee, not a farmed bee. I see, interesting. Yeah. And they make great honey. I've seen guys climb a tree and like just bring a five gallon bucket on their belt and fill it halfway with dead bees and honeycomb and handfuls of honey. I've also seen them chop down a whole tree to get a just to get the honey. (laughs) Yeah, start a fire at the base, chop the tree down, and then deal with getting stung or whatever. The fire brings the smoke up to yeah to um, get the bees out of the area. I like that you brought up the coral reefs because. I don't know a lot about it, but I'm under the impression the coral reefs are on the, the Pacific side of Nicaragua are pretty rare. And when they discovered it, it was kind of a, a pretty cool find. And does that sound about right? And something new, and they didn't really expect to find it in this area. And Yeah, that, well, it, it had never really been mapped before. Okay. And we're actually talking about seven years ago or so, six, seven years ago. It was quite a... But they came over with diving equipment and all the... Um, some sonar equipment and different things to... I think it's harder for them to find it on the Pacific side just because the conditions of the ocean it's more murky are so much rougher and murky and uh, different. So with the right equipment, they came out and started mapping. Yeah. So maybe it's not necessarily rare. It's just harder to find and, and they haven't made a big effort to find it. Basically. And there's no push to do that because, um, yeah, I'm not sure why, but I think in the future they will probably do the same as Costa Rica and make national forests out of the coral reefs, protected areas, helps with fish production and everything based on the ocean. So along with some good surf, yeah, when you get the right spot. You've been surfing much? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have, I've only been back for a few weeks, but um, I plan on it. The surf's kind of low right now. That's true. It's not really season. There's always waves that you can find something. Unfortunately, my switch off from going to the States and working... To keep my status there as well as here is, um, the good surf happens here when I'm gone most years, which summertime in the States. I mean, the big waves, 
but we still get good waves here all the time. So yeah, no, I plan on it this week. I just finished um, finished a project, and it involved a lot of involvement with clients. So yeah, what? Um, so you're not a resident then? You don't? Do you plan on getting your residency, or are you? My residency happens in the next couple months, actually. Okay, and then you'll be here more permanently. Are you th- are you ever well, thinking about trying to make that full transition, that full cut from the states? Absolutely. Yeah. Ultimate goal is to not have to be going back and forth. Yeah, to be able to establish in this country and be away from the the tax elements, the political elements, the crazy cop elements, the um, just being in the states, the whole thing. Ultimately, I would like to be here. Yeah. What kind of other fun stuff do you do? Like spend time here? Like do you have hobbies that you keep yourself busy with? Uh, I know you mentioned that you like do wood carving occasionally. Do you ever try to? You ever think about making that into something you'll sell? Like someday, if I have enough time to just work on wood carving, (laughs) I would. I'd love for that to be a a hobby that made money. But diving into the the Nicaraguan, hundred percent Nicaraguan products is a big project. Mm-hmm. And getting things rolling while things are on fire down here, and really happening and growing is part of my my um, progression with it all. But yeah, eventually I definitely like to take time to do what I want to do, which yeah would be wood carving. Um, up farther north, Nicaragua, I like we like uh, being out in the jungle. I like horseback riding. Um, we're involved with. Uh, cattle ranching through family and that involves the honey as well because they that's where all the boxes and hives are so i'm getting up in the mountains just like i used to do in the states basically kind of exploring northern territories and just getting away from it all in this country it's just so much different you get backwoods and you're riding your horse down the road and here's a guy with pistoleros and bull whips and they're herding cattle down the road and i mean they're protecting their property because there's still banditos out there just like we talked about earlier banditos coming to look for a (laughs) snatch and grab real quick walking and walking into your home without announcing themselves classic but you feel pretty safe here like you consider this country safe would you say that people ask me that all the time especially going back to the states I get that question all the time. Is it safe there? You live in Nicaragua. Is it safe there? And I just look at them and I'm at the point where if it's a friend or somebody, family, I'll explain to them that, yes, it's safe there. And I've definitely felt more more in danger in the bigger cities in the States, San Diego, Seattle, Miami, New York, you name it. You can go through the whole list and, no, there's way more violence going on there I've never felt for my life in this country, I guess. And maybe that's part of the inspirement to be here. Totally. You know, just You alluded to earlier too that you might have after you kinda of get Glenda's company up and really on where it needs to be that you might have something that you might start on your own. You wanna give us a hint what that could be or you wanna keep that a secret until you, you drop the bomb on us? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've always continued with the uh, the construction and the maintenance of, and actually we're in the process of making a, a legit company 
in Nicaragua doing basically continuing what we had started under the umbrella of another company of maintenance and and um yeah we see the future there's so much going on here and so much building and the connections we've made over the years we have serious opportunities to continue and um yeah the time is now to do it that's great yeah. congratulations yeah it's been a different different ride for sure not what i expected when I was what did you expect younger. if you don't want me asking i don't know i guess i would have planted myself down with the the american dream i had it i bought a house i had vehicles i had the company i had the child the the marriage the you know that began to fall apart i guess that was kind of the beginning of looking into what i really wanted to do and be and seeking out another opportunity that's different and uh eventually not being able to tolerate the the um, american dream as it said for many reasons but yeah then making a new window for myself i guess and like I like that statement there, making a new window for yourself, you know, taking responsibility for that conclusion you came to and doing something about it, you know, and you've been straddling, you know, the U.S. in here because, as you explained, the money's still a little bit better back in the States for you. But, you know, now with the new business ventures that you have, it sounds like and the residency coming in. I mean, it sounds like within the next year or two, you could be down here full time and growing that little dream business, little dream life that you've always just, that you just shared with us more or less. I mean, does that sound right? I mean, that sounds too airy. Yeah. Well, no, making it happen is one thing, but being a part of it as well when there's other parties involved. Right. You know, I didn't just marry a Nicaraguan woman. I married a family. (laughs) No, and that's true. I mean, cultural differences are big when you do choose to marry someone outside of your culture. Latino families in general are very tight families, like just, totally different than what I was raised into and and uh, Nicaraguans in particular yeah especially farther north you go they're very tight-knit and uh, yeah to be accepted you feel accepted though yeah actually being accepted and loved by 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 a new family and um, a new culture is is incredible it's um, inspired me to keep moving forward be really easy to sit down and give up and just bitch and complain about politics at the bar every day after work and make your make my paycheck and no to make the move is a bigger challenge and I definitely feel exception with the being accepted with Nicaraguan as well different families accept you we've worked in this area so long like you you know what it's been like you've been here over the years so Ten years ago, we had to negotiate with local families to get meals made for any employees that were involved in a project because there was no restaurants and nowhere to buy um, water out here, food. You had to really provide for each other. And even just that acceptance, the initial acceptance of of local families in the Gante area and this whole coast. I'm pitching in. Yeah, I remember those days, and that felt good to be a part of that for sure. Yeah, and you're helping with what you can with them, and the rains come, and rivers of water are coming down the side of a mountain. <laughs> you're out there with shovels and picks along with the locals trying to divert a river that's flowing into the neighbor's home that was built during the dry season, and they didn't know it was <laughs> right in the path of a potential river. Yeah. That was beautifully said, man. Um, you know, before we sign off, 
I know you wanted to kind of plug your father's construction company a little bit, and then you know we did we did talk about uh, Encanta Mi Tierra, um, and that's you can find all those entities online. I believe your your dad's company was what Doric dot com. Is that right? Yep, D O R I C C okay. at AOL dot com is the web page, and it just shows some of the works we do in the in the states and um, profiles some things. Aqua might not even be in there at this point, but I'm sure he's got some reference to it as part of our history. And so they can get a, a taste of what you do, and if someone's building down here and needs you know that kind of work, they, you're contactable basically through that. Or would, would you like to give somebody the opportunity to contact you in a different way, like Facebook or? Well, I'm on Facebook and all the other reachable social networks. Um, cool. Um, and then <laughs> incantamitier.com. Is that correct? She's on Facebook right now, Encanta Mitiera. Okay. And in the future, she'll have a website, Encanta Mitiera Glenda, um, probably at Gmail. So she'll ha- open up an, an email connection. And- Sweet. Yeah, I saw some of the products you uh, were walking with today and seemed really cool. You know, you were going to give it to one of the new uh, arrivals, baby arrivals in town. Was that oh, that spray, like bug spray, natural bug spray you are going to? Yeah, most of what she does is by order right now. And the natural bug spray, people like it for their babies and children because it's innocuous and reduce the DEET factor. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you can find us in Nagante. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Spirit. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us. Well, thanks. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.